everyone, and we're glad to see that you're with us again today. Uh, we uh, have a few things that we'll be talking about in the next service, especially as announcements, but I wanted to bring your attention to one thing, if you've gotten a bulletin today. Uh, Sister Regal brought us in a nice little article last week, and I added that to the paper today, about uh, an, the local newspaper or one of the uh, sections that was, I think it was called the, uh, the Adventure or something like that, but they had uh, highlighted the uh, church in a, under its construction, and if you look at the picture, you can see the church building, and right behind it, the new church building, the older church building sitting to the forefront, and I just thought that was interesting, so we added that today. Well, we're also going to start a new subject line uh, on eschatology. We uh, finished up with Psalms chapter 119 last week, so take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to begin our studies today on this topic of eschatology. Now, very simply meaning, the word eschatology means study of last things. And uh, there's a number of uh, different books that are written. I'm going to show these to you that I've collected over the years, and it's not, it's not even an extensive part of my library. It's just a part of my library. But I want you to see what the Bible says in regards to the study of eschatology. So let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Let's begin at verse 1. And it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Now, I'll start there today because the fact is, is we really want to see where we're going to be going when it comes to the study of eschatology. There's a lot of people that they have a misunderstanding. What is eschatology? What is the right position? And this, that, and the other. We're going to get into all of that. But I just want to give you, as a primary introduction, where we are today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and help us to understand the things that the Lord would have for us today. Lord, again, I thank you for your purpose and I thank you for your plan. And I thank you, Father, for the goodness which you give us each and every day. Lord, I don't know what may be in store in the days to come, but Father, this we should all have in mind, and that is looking for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I will not say that our position is always one that people appreciate. Some in this area do. There's others that don't. But Lord, the one thing that we need to remember is that there is the promise in Scripture that you come quickly. And so help us to understand the things that you give us, and may we understand the things that are written from your word today. Lord, we don't mean to sensationalize anything that comes in the book of Revelation, nor do we have any desire to build upon the revelation, but to build upon the promises that you give us to build upon. Now, ladies, I pray thee and guide and direct. May we serve you in all things, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now, that is my opening statement. The study of eschatology is not a difficult one, but one that needs attention. The study of the rapture and the Lord's kingdom, uh, the Lord's kingdom reign, has been complicated by those who provide cursory service to the truth of what is written in Scripture. The truth of the matter is this. Does God want us to know the things left in the store for the future? 
Now, right here I have just some of the books, and I have collected these books for years and years and years. Uh, in fact, uh, these, these two here, one is called The Second Coming, the other one is called The Revelation. I also have another book it's by, uh, on Daniel that is there. Probably one of the most interesting books I ever read was called The Millennial Kingdom by John Walford. Uh, Walford is probably one of the, the defining individuals when it comes to, to the truth of God's word. And so we find John Walford's writings here. And I bought this book because he, I thought he was going to teach on the millennial reign of Christ. But what he was really pointing out was why he held on to his pre-rapture position or the uh, pre-trip position. We also see here where we have like Chuck Swindoll, John Robert, and uh, also Dwight Pentecost. If you ever see anything by Dwight Pentecost, no, he wasn't Pentecostal. He was a very sound Baptist. But anyway, uh, The Road to Armageddon is another good book. The Redeemer's Return by Arthur W. Pink. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but many say that Pink uh, went after a, a post-millennial position. Well, there was a part of his early life that he did, it. he did in fact, take that position. But later on in his life, he wrote this book, which is called The Redeemer's Return, which is a pre-trip position. Now, you're welcome to come up and peruse all of these books. You'll see all of them. I go through different ones of them, and I haven't pulled even half of what I've got in my library. Probably one of the most enjoyable pieces that I ever, I ever read on the millennial reign of Christ, also the rapture and all that comes in, was actually read by Tim LaHaye, uh, and it was called the Rapture Series, or the Left Behind Series. And it's fictional. Please understand it's a fictional piece, but it's based upon the, the biblical prophecy. And so there was that aspect upon it to where that he goes into it. And I've had so many people criticize it because they turn around and they say, well, we shouldn't do things like that. Really? We do it with everything else. We do it with everything else. We fictionalize or we imaginize or we, we romanticize other parts of the Bible, but when it comes to the things of, the, of uh, eschatology, we don't. So I want us to really bring things into a simple context. Let's turn, if you will, uh, to Psalms chapter 119, and I guarantee you we're going to go through a lot of verses while we do this study. And at any time, if somebody feels like we're going too quickly or we need to slow down, I would love for someone to bring this up to me. But in chapter 119, we just finished the study, and we go down to verse 130, Look what it says in regards to the Word of God. Now, this is, this is so essential that we read and we've studied Psalms chapter 119. But look what it says. The entrance of thy words are given light, giveth light. Now, why do we want to make sure we understand what giveth light means? There's many times I come right into this room and I'll leave the lights off. And if it's dark in here, when the lights are off, that little pew right there wants to borrow my toes. Anyone ever stub your toe on a piece of furniture and you don't mean to or you run into a piece of furniture? That piece of furniture right there, that pew, loves it when I try to navigate without any lights on. Well, the light means that it gives a way for us to see. Look what else it says. It giveth understanding unto the simple. We complicate the Word of God. 
if I really want to understand the things of God, I need to look at the, sim- the simple aspect of it. There, were, there was a sermon, and I don't remember if it was Brother Joe Collins or Brother Tom Ross, that he made an interesting comment. And he goes, I guess it's good that I have gotten older. Because as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit more understanding, a little bit more mellow. And so I approach these things in that way. Now think about this. When we were younger, we were all, we just wanted to jump out there and start lopping people's heads off with the Word of God. You know, just real spiritual aspect. But as we've gotten older, we have a tendency of slowing down a little bit, absorbing the very morrow of the Word of God as it applies to ourselves. Let's go to Titus chapter 2, and I'm going to show you where else we're going to go. So we want to look at the simplicity of the word, but we also want to understand there is a requirement for us to study eschatology. I don't know if you understand that or not. I've had so many people in my time frame that they say, well, it doesn't really matter. In fact, I said on an ordination one time, and this young man that we were ordaining, he said, well, I guess I'm a pantheologist. And I said, a pantheologist? He goes, yeah, it will all pan out in the end. People want to know where we are really at when we come and we settle upon the question of our eschatology. When I was a young preacher, I was asked to pastor a church in North Carolina. And I was 26 years of age, and I really wasn't ready. And there were two things that I wasn't settled upon. Number one, church history. Church perpetuity, church, you know, anything that deals with the church. I wasn't ready for that. And number two, my eschatology. So I devoted myself to study those two particular things. And when I felt that I was comfortable and strong enough to support it and defend it, I stood up with it. But let me point this out to you. Every church needs to know the truth of God's word. Look what it says in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, Jesus Christ. Is that not what we're supposed to be doing? Looking for the coming of the Lord, who gave himself for a particular people zealous of good works. These things speak, underline that, we are required to teach and to speak on eschatology. We are required to tell others of Jesus Christ. We are required to live godly lives. We are required to be a particular people. Look what else it says. And rebuke with all of Say something as, well, it says somewhere in the Bible. And they want to say it's written in God's Word. It doesn't say that at all. But because they've heard it, they will repeat it. Uh, just as we pointed out, people say that there's errors in the Bible. There are no errors in the Bible. None. I've not been able to find any errors. I find things that make me study deeper and harder, 
But again, we need to be able to stand firm. This, by the way, is the meat of the matter. And let us also uh, let no man despise thee. In other words, have that no man will despise you. Not only that, let's go over to John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and look at the, the next exhortation that we have here. In John, well, 1 John chapter 2, let me get over there as well. My pages are sticking. And let's go down to verse 27, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Look what it says. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And you need not any man teach you, but the same, uh, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, I want you to get this for a moment. If I am to know the truth, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in prayer. Now, make no bones about it. It, the, the most difficult thing is to put aside our particular thinking and our particular ways and saying, this is what I'm looking for. I love what Brother, what Brother Joe Collins said one time. If it's simple, then it's got to be the answer. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And everybody knows probably right where I'm going to, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and let's go down to verse 13. Look how simple this particular passage is. And when we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, notice he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sow not even as others which have no hope. So the reality is, is there's a separation. Those of us that believe in the coming of the Lord and those that don't believe in the coming of the Lord. What are we looking for? Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which asleep, which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Number one, there are so many people that they go right into verse 14 and say, there we go, soul sleep. Anyone know what the other word for sleep is? It's rest. Those that rest in Jesus. And that when we pass from this life, we don't go into some sort of blanket statement. We're going to get into that as we look in the book of Revelation. But one of the things that we find is, the Lord... that are going to have already been redeemed, that have already been saved, that have already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, have passed on from this life. We can talk about the Old, Te the Old Testament saints. We can talk about the New Testament saints. We can talk about all of those that died during the preaching of the Word of God, according to John chapter 17. And rest assured that when I pass on, my faith, my confidence, my totality is in Jesus Christ. That is what I believe. You know, yesterday I had the opportunity to visit with Terry and Tina Coomer. Now, I married this couple 25 years ago. And, and Tina made sure I remembered that it was 25 years ago. 
Terry is dying right now. Hospice has been called in because he has stage four cancer. He has lung cancer and it's now swept through his body and it's just a matter of time. He has labor breathing and everything else. And the thing is, as I, I visit with him, the one question that I had for Tina was this. Not only do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but to the best of your knowledge, does Terry know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? Now, when I come to the word faith, how many of us try to complicate faith? If I tell a child, and I'll give you this, it's a humorous example, but many years ago I had a cousin named Rex, and we had just one little cousin named Kevin that he was just rambunctious and everything, but Kevin loved horses. And I remember one time that, that Rex went in and he goes, you know what I've got here? And he held out a coconut. He said, I've got a mule's egg. He said, what? He said, I've got a mule's egg. And he held that coconut up, you know, we, you know where the sunshine goes through it. He goes, can you see the mule? And Kevin looked in and he goes, I don't see the mule. He goes, you're not looking hard enough. And the next thing you know, Kevin goes, says, I see the mule. It was a coconut. He said, now, if you want this thing to hatch, you've got to sit on it. And you can't get up. Do you know Kevin sat on that thing for about two and a half hours? And when his mom and dad finally showed back up to pick him up, they had the hardest time getting him to get off that coconut. And they blamed Rex because he said, Rex, you convinced him. Now, I want you to get this. We, you know, Kevin gave all of his faith, if you will, to what Rex had to say. But at the same time, there is a good example in that in understanding where we should be when it comes to faith. I want you to think, stop looking at all I was saved when I was nine years of age. And in a very simple way, I believe that I had trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Every one of us that were saved in an early age, I have no doubt in, your, in my mind that you have struggled with your salvation at one time or another because you were young. But understand this, as you get older, it doesn't matter how you alone. Not in some hocus pocus. You see, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. We're going to get into a little bit later. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto what? Salvation. You see, I'm not going to say anything through these lips that I don't believe within my heart. And the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit enables our faith to allow us to grasp a hold of Jesus Christ. So look what it says again in verse 14. For if we believe, there's the aspect of faith, that Jesus Christ I, I never, I, I never questioned that. I, I, 
I remember my own papa when he passed away, and I was a young man of about 14, 15 years of age, I don't remember, but I do recall looking at his coffin and thinking, Papa, just get up. Just get up. He looked alive enough, but there was just the shell of the man. There was just the shell of the man. Papa believed in Jesus Christ, and I guarantee you, if I could have woke him up at that moment, he would have said, just leave me alone. I want to be in glory. I want to be with my Lord. So if we believe beyond the grave, believe that Jesus Christ arose and that he went into glory and he took and redeemed those with him into glory, then notice what it says. Even so, the gospel from a very early just this example and it's amazing what you can see that our brains can't even catch I'll give you an example right now do you realize that there are angels sitting beside us I wish that as a preacher I could say Lord open our eyes so we can see the angels around us wouldn't you like that no, you wouldn't. You'd be scared to death. You'd be looking all the time at someone. But think about the glory that we cannot see but awaits us. The simplicity is we are going to be caught up together with them. Look what else it says. For this we say unto you by the word of God, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord will touch ground. He will descend from heaven with a shout with the Then Satan will go and take the hands. No, we are going to see the glory. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
where I understand the beauty. Now, I want you to go ahead and look at this. One statement that I have prepared. I hope that, Joe, if you will, give me the next slide. We believe in the final states of man. Notice this says states. If we die, we shall go and be with the Lord. If we're waiting on the coming of the Lord, we shall also be upon this earth. But there's also the other aspect, which means those that do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, when they pass from this life, will bust hell wide open. I'm not trying to preach a fire and brimstone message. But we cannot ignore the fact that hell is very real. It says in the book of Mark that the worm dieth not, and the flames are not quenched. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that all men everywhere would hear the promise. And when we get to the understanding of the promises of God, how special it would be. Look what else it says. We need to know more of how we, how we get to this place in eternity. Now, the problem is, as I see it, more and more people have a fixed idea without any scriptural support to it. Now, I want to show you what I'm speaking of. Let's go back to the book of Revelation. We're going to go back to chapter 1. And I want to show you how many things are already misapplied in our Bibles. At the very top, how many of you all see the word, the Revelation? Not revelations. One revelation. So we should strike from our vocabulary when referring to this book, the revelations, adding the S. But underneath it, it says of St. John the Divine. How many of you all see that in your Bibles? Or of St. John, or John the, you know, John the Divine. This was not the revelation of St. John. This was the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. Is that not what we read? Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto who? John. So if we are going to misrepresent the word of God in the beginning, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation, no wonder people will criticize us. Here's another one, and I, I remember many years ago, I sat down with an individual, and I was trying to explain to them why I was holding to the pre-trib, and he was interrupting, 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 and he used this verse, chapter 1, verse 1, as his great catalyst, and here's where he went in, which God gave to him to show unto his servant things which must shortly, 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 how many of you have ever had someone argue with the word shortly over you? And their answer is, well, these things have already happened. And I look at them and I go, when? If these things have already happened, when did they happen? Now, here's the thing we're going to get into. As we study in eschatology, we're going to find moments of what we would call a, a, a picture that is there, an allegory. And any time you see a 
comparison, you'd really have an allegory. When it says, and the water became as blood, that's an allegory. When, the, when it says the water became blood, that's real. When Moses was in, when Moses stood before Pharaoh, and the waters became blood, that was not an allegory. That, that actually happened. When we see over in the book of Revelation that even one-third of the ocean shall become blood, But look what else it says. Let's go down to verse 10. And I love this. And it says, I was in the Spirit. Man, I tell you what. You really want to have a great opportunity to understand the things of God? Don't come into the church building expecting to receive the Spirit. Bring the Spirit with you. I know that sounds, that sounds very much an Arminian statement. But I have seen so many people that drag in and they drag out. And then they turn around and say, boy, I, I, that was a waste of my time. But if I come in and I am praising God, I remember one preacher down in uh, Salinas, California. He told the congregation, he said, don't you dare come back in the way you just came in today. He said, next week when you come in, come in with a smile on your face, with joy. Everybody's looking at me like, you got something against me? No, I don't have anything against you. The reality is, you want to be joyful and in the Spirit? Come in the Spirit, and you will receive the blessings of God. So look what it says. I was in the Spirit. Where was joy? On the outside, on a barrel. the Algean Sea or something like that. He's up in that area. There's nothing there, and yet he's... Can you imagine that, Brother Randy? Singing, In my... But he was praising God and enjoying his presence. If you really want to look at eschatology, don't look at it with a down mouth. Look at it with joy in your heart. And notice what else it says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and heard a great voice as of a trumpet. One day, and this is no joke, I was driving down the road and I didn't know that this old town I was in had a siren that they played at noontime. You know, you're going to talk about they, they, it's called a hurricane siren, warn people. And that thing sounded like a trumpet. And at that moment, I thought, oh my word, the Lord's coming right now. And I, I was ready to stop the car because I didn't want to have an I'm just looking up in the scare, and then I heard this. Can you imagine as John turns around, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his splendor. Look what it says in verse 11. Saying, the first words that Jesus says to John, in all of his splendor, in all of his glory. The last time John saw him, he saw him resurrect. He saw him ascend. He saw the nail wounds in his hand. 
when we get into this image and we look at Jesus Christ, we're going to see him in a very spectacular way. And Jesus says to him, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamon, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Man, when John heard this, how would you have responded? You see the gold. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's also go to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And you know, the thing is, is I've heard so many people talk about the book of Daniel. But let me just point this out to you. Daniel saw one vision that was given to him with the vision that God had already originally given to Nebuchadnezzar. And when Daniel was a young man, he saw the same vision and was able to explain it to the king. Remember that? What most people don't realize, Daniel struggled with that the rest of his life. One dream, one thought, and Daniel struggled with that thought for the rest of his life. Only that we would struggle and we would learn the Word of God in such a way that we were not afraid of what it had to say and that we would really bring it to our attention every day. Look what it says in verse 15. And it says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Not only is there the power but the visions will trouble us. What I'm going to show you ought to bring trouble into our spirit. Why? Because I'm trying to upset you? No. But the more I see Christ out of the book of Revelation and the things that are getting ready to happen, I don't want any of my kids to go through it. I had the joy, nay, the pleasure of being with my granddaughter yesterday. I love Esther. She's beautiful inside and out. She's just 16. She'll be 16 this coming week, Lord's willing. And she is just as precious as she can be. I spent too much money on her, and I'd do it again if I had the opportunity. And I looked at her and I said, Esther, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I don't care if you go to church. Or what church you go to, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Stop there for a moment. When was the last time we wept over our children? I guarantee you, Greg and, and Dennis and myself, we're praying for Will and Grace. I know this church is praying for them. And I know, I know that Jessica's praying for them. And we're going to rejoice over the day that they come forward and they say, I know Jesus as my Savior, and I want to split the baptismal waters for all to witness. Who's with me? That's going to be such a glorious day. And I guarantee you, this old church will go bonkers. And when we know a child is born again, 
There's no other picture like it. I, I don't care how religious they are. But are they committed to Christ? We need Garrett's. We need Will's. We need Gracie's. We need salvation on every corner. Because the future of this church rests with them. And we will only begin to pray when we see revelation in such a way that it troubles our spirits. You know, this morning we were talking about a six-year-old boy that went out and shot his school teacher. That's very troubling. But I wonder how many people went to that old six-year-old boy and said, Have I told you about Jesus? What kept me from shooting my my, my teacher? What kept me from being heinous? What allowed me to grow up in the age and the time frame that I did? Was it not because of Christ? Was it not because of God? And I never forgot the testimonies that are there. Finally, let's go to the book of Acts chapter 6. And I want you to see just how important it is. And in Acts chapter 6, we see the calling of the deacons and the responsibility that was given there. And we're going to go down to verse, th- verse 3. And you may be amazed what I see in this verse. And it says, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. This is the establishment of the deacons. But we will give, and here's the reason why you need to have these individuals. If I am honest around God's word, I will study. And I hope that I provoke question upon question out of this congregation. And and people that tune in. Invite other people. Let others know that we're studying. And if they're them to tune in. They can watch the video. We have it posted online. And if they have questions, may we have the strength and the ability to answer those questions from the But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. I need your prayer while I'm studying this. I don't care what's written in these books. The primary book that I'm going to be using is this book because it's God's word. Everything else is man's word. And we know that that's flawed. Let me say this. I had a man many years ago says, do you think you're smarter than John Gill? Because he held to what John Gill held to, which was a pre- or post-millennial position. And I looked at him and said, yes, I am. And he literally grabbed his shirt and he wanted to run into us before you rent the clothes. I said, did John Gill ever see a car? Did John Gill ever see an airplane? Did John Gill ever use a cell phone or a telephone or anything else? I said, John wrote based upon what he saw and we are the same way. And if we're going to see victory, that victory will only come when we understand the Word of God in its simplicity and its truth. 
And so, I urge you to pray for me. And finally it says, uh, in verse 4, verse 4 it says, And to minister of the word, the power of study. Thank you all for your faithfulness this morning. We'll pick up the Lord's willing there at the middle of the page where it says this stated. Father, again, thank you for your blessings. Now lead and bless as we continue on in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed.